0: Welcome in week five in the Big 12 Conference in the books. How are you? I'm Pete Mundo, HeartlandCollegeSports.com. It is always good to be here with you talking Big 12 football, especially after a historic, wild week of action. Welcome in on YouTube, on the podcast, on Facebook Live, of course. What do you have to do? Well, if you could, hit that thumbs up on YouTube, subscribe to the channel. Same thing as always on the podcast. We appreciate you guys doing that as we flip the calendar to October. Can you believe it? Yep, that's right. The first month of the football season is in the books, and now we get set for conference play in full swing. And of course, that all started this week. I can't say Saturday because we had a Friday game. So let's just talk about these games in order of what they meant, what happens. Um, not the order of which they were played. I do that in non-conference play, but you know what? In conference play, we got to talk about what actually happened based on the order of importance. And the most important game on Saturday took place in Fort Worth, where the West Virginia Mountaineers improved to 4-1 and one after beating TCU as a 14-point underdog on the road. My goodness. Neil Brown and the Mountaineers were picked to finish last place in this league. I didn't think they'd come in last, but I didn't have high hopes. And this has been such a fun West Virginia team to watch. Scrappy, defensive-minded, defensive-oriented. Uh, they're underdogs in basically every game, and here they are, 4-1. and one. The over-under on West Virginia wins this season was 4.5. Uh, they can get there after their bye week. I, I mean, that's that's what this team is looking at right now. And in fact... Well, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but I'm just saying the schedule looks very favorable for this West Virginia team moving forward, which is something I never thought I would say, but here we are. That's why they play the games, right? The old Herm Edwards line. So this West Virginia team in the third quarter held TCU to less than .1 yards per play. You heard that right. TCU had one net yard in the third quarter on 11 plays. Do the math. They have been absolutely dominant on that side of the ball. And they were down 21 14 at halftime. And they get the ball in the third quarter. They get a touchdown on the board. They tie the game, and the defense did its thing. Five sacks, nine tackles for loss in this game. They were absolutely dominant. And this defense is not a fluke. They play clean football. Limited turnovers this season for WVU, limited penalties. They lead the Big 12 in fewest penalty yards per game. They had two penalties for 10 yards on Saturday night. That is a testament to Neil Brown and his coaching staff. Now, I will say this because you know I'm, I'm crowing and raving about the Mountaineers after this win against TCU, and some of you are ragging us on social media, ragging me, saying that I've been critical of them for three years. Well, they've stunk for three years. I mean, that's how this works. When you play good football, I will praise you. When you play stinky football, I will criticize you. This is not difficult. West Virginia has not been a good football program under Neil Brown, but they've got the players, they've got the transfers they needed, they've got the defense, and it's clicking and it's coming together. And having Garrett Green was a big benefit. He came back and, you know, you're going to look at the box score and say, oh, what, 10 of 20 for 140-some-odd passing yards, but his legs were important, he ran for a couple of scores, and his leadership was noticeable in this game. When they needed a big throw, he was finding guys all over the field. Devin Carter had a big grab. I still want to see him involved more, but Carter had a big grab, a couple of big catches for Cole Taylor, the tight end. I mean... It is coming together on that side of the ball with each passing week. And the fact that they got this done without C.J. Donaldson having a big game, 22 carries for 61 yards, tells you a lot about how they're figuring out how to win games. That's so critically important. Knowing what you are and winning those games based on the parameters of what you are. And that's what West Virginia did. They shut down Imani Bailey, TCU's running back, who came into the week as the Top rusher in the Big 12. He only had 50 some odd rushing yards on the game. I mean, it was darn impressive. And the Mountaineers are sitting there at four and one and two and zero in conference play. And I'll tell you what, at this point, you got to sit there and say, it's time to trust the climb in Morgantown. I know it's taken way too long, but Neil Brown was always an easy guy to root for. He was always somebody that we wanted to see succeed. But it was getting to the point where if it wasn't going to happen, it was time to move on. But he's proven so far this season that he's winning games. He can win games at this level. And when you look at the schedule the rest of the way, um, it is very favorable. At Houston versus Oklahoma State, at UCF versus BYU, and then to Norman. I mean, are we sitting here with West Virginia possibly 8-1 going to Norman in mid-November? Like, is that impossible? I don't think it's likely, but I also don't think it's impossible by any stretch of the imagination. That's just the kind of year it's been right now for the Mountaineers, and it has been so much fun to watch. Now, I'm going to defend TCU fans for a second here. There was a lot of chatter during the game. You know, West Virginia lost two players uh, who were carted off the field in that game. And there was all this talk on social media about how West Virginia players were getting booed by TCU fans when they went down and ultimately they were hurt. Well, that's true. However, TCU fans were booing because initially they thought that they were faking injuries because TCU's offense was getting in a little bit of a flow. But the minute that like the carts came out and they realized it was serious TCU fans were not booing anymore. So let's pump the brakes on that. And in fairness, we see so much when it comes to guys faking injuries to slow down offenses, we've become accustomed to assuming that it's a fake injury. That's not right, but the sport has done that to itself. So I'm not going to rag on TCU fans because I-, I don't think that's fair based on what actually happened in that game. Now, TCU is going to still be a good football team this year. I know they're 3-2. and two. They're one 1-1 and one in Big 12 play. Nobody thought they were going to win the Big 12 this year just based on what they lost last year. But TCU is going to keep getting better. I'm not going to sit here and say TCU won't play a role in the rest of the Big 12 season. I believe they will. And the game at Iowa State next weekend is very intriguing for the Horn Frogs. So uh, that was the game of the weekend when it comes to what it means for the Big 12 going forward. Now... The game of the weekend, just based on pure entertainment, was Baylor coming back from 35-7 down to beat UCF in Orlando for their first Big 12 home game. I, that that What the heck happened in that game? That was nuts. Did you know at the 37-second mark of the third quarter, ESPN's analytics had... UCF with a 99.9% chance of winning the game. Yes. 99.9% chance of winning the game. And they blew it. They lost it. I (laughs) I mean, yeah. It's unbelievable. Now, when do I think this game changed? This game changed to me on a play that most people are never going to remember from this game. But I'm going to share it with you here. So, uh it's the third quarter. UCF is leading Baylor 35-7. Baylor's got the ball. Second half of the third quarter. And Baylor's driving. And it's a third and five at the UCF 38-yard line. And Blake Shapin does this kind of underhand pass throw to Drake Dabney for 10 yards down to the UCF 28 for a first down. That extended that drive Baylor then ends up kicking a field goal on that drive to make it 35-10. And there were many on social media, Baylor fans, who were like, why are we even kicking the field goal? What's the point? Oh, my, why are we wasting our time? This is ridiculous. Fire Dave Aranda. They got points on the board after converting that critical third and five. What happens next? Timmy McLean gets his pass intercepted. And then it's off to the races. Baylor, 10-play, 81-yard drive, two-point conversion. Then three and out for UCF. Baylor, five-play, 55-yard drive, two-point conversion. Then the fumble recovery for a touchdown. It's 35-33. And then, of course, Baylor ends up kicking the eventual game-winning field goal, 36-35. That five, that field goal possession made a difference. And it mattered in this game and Blake Shapin, who was getting his clock clean most of the day. I mean, that guy's jersey. I don't think they should bother cleaning the jersey. I mean, he was just getting smoked left and right. Uh, Baylor's offensive line, I mean, it needs a lot of work. UCF doesn't have much of a rush defense, and they held Baylor to 3.5 yards a carry, and they were all over that backfield, four sacks and seven tackles for loss. So Baylor still has a lot of work to do. But you know what? You take the win, it's a historic 29-point comeback, something that Baylor had never done. Meantime, UCF had never blown a lead like that, which is exactly what they did as well. So I mean, it, it was just insane, and I'm not going to lie. As I'm watching this game, I'm toggling between KU-Texas, UCF, and, and Baylor, and then the other 230 game was uh, Houston-Texas Tech. There were a couple stretches where I was like, do I just turn this off? I'll start rioting. I got things to do. And then I said, you know, when they hit the field goal, I said, I'll leave this thing on for a little bit. And then I'm rioting. I'm doing some other things. I'm following KU Texas. And then, you know, all of a sudden it starts picking up steam. They start scoring. It's like three and out. And the game completely changes. Our guy, Derek Duke, was there, by the way. So uh, if you're a follower of Heartland College Sports, Derek does his own podcast with Joe Tillery one of our other Heartland writers, and uh, they do the Heartland After Dark podcast. So be sure to go subscribe to that wherever you get your podcasts. Derek was at that game, so he'll be able to talk a lot about it, UCF's first Big 12 game. Now, this does not change some of the issues for both teams. I don't think Baylor's very good. They're 2-3. and three. They're 1-1 one and one in Big 12 play. But I don't think Baylor's very good, and I think there is a ton of work to do with that team. But clearly having Blake shape in back made a difference in this one, as it should. Richard Reese had himself a strong game out of the backfield as well. And Monterey Baldwin was a stud at wide receiver, seven catches, 150 yards, and a score. But uh, the defense leaves a lot to be desired. The offensive line leaves a lot to be desired, especially you know in the trenches on both sides of the ball. That's where Baylor is struggling tremendously right now. Meantime for UCF, I, you know, a couple of things. First off, why they're snapping the ball with 15 to 20 seconds left on the play clock? I don't understand. Like, I, 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 Gus Malzahn has been around this game a long time. Why Gus Malzahn is snapping the ball or having his OC snap the ball with 15, 20 seconds on the play clock? I don't get. And why Timmy McLean is tossing up, you know, uh, passes. With his team up at that point, 35 to 10, as if he's down 35 to 10 and getting picked off, that doesn't make any sense either to me. It just it got sloppier and sloppier as the game went on in many ways uh, for UCF, and it was just disappointing to watch. They lost the turnover battle. They had more penalties and um, more penalty yards. I I mean, jeez, you blow a lead. You sit there and you shake your head and you say, what are we doing here? What's going on? I mean, that's a a bad loss for UCF. There's no other way to spin it. Oh, my goodness. But you know what? Um, Historic comeback, incredible game. If you didn't turn it off, boy, that one was a lot of fun to watch. Now, the rest of these games... Not as fun to watch, unfortunately, but we're going to run through them here. Uh, let's start off with a game that we thought would be a good one, Texas and Kansas. Texas just absolutely dominates this game against uh, Kansas 40-14. to Now, Texas looks like it can be in the college football playoff. They look that good. You know, Texas ran more plays in Kansas territory than Kansas ran all afternoon. They racked up 660-some-odd yards. They held KU to well under 300. And by the way, this is a good Kansas team. Don't watch that game. Don't look at that box score and let anybody tell you this is not a good Kansas football team. It is. This Kansas team is getting better, by the way. They're good in the trenches. Now they were missing Jalen Daniels, the preseason Big 12 Offensive Player of the Year at quarterback. But this is a good team, and Texas just dominated them. This Texas team, I don't want to say they're back because they got the Red River coming up this weekend, but they're almost back. And in a wide open year in college football, I mean, you know, Georgia's just sneaking by again this past weekend. I don't know what Michigan is. They haven't played anybody yet. Blowing out Nebraska is not impressive. So I I don't know what the top of college football is. I do know this. If I was an AP poll voter, I'd put them number one this week. That's how good I believe Kansas is, and they've proven that thus far. Now, when you miss Jalen Daniels, that that plays a role in this game. Jason Bean is just, he's not going to be the guy that's going to help you upset Texas on the road. It's not going to happen. But Jonathan Brooks had his coming out party against this Kansas defense as well. 21 carries, 218 yards in this game, a couple of touchdowns. Those are career highs for him across the board. A former four-star recruit who is finally getting his number called after Bijan Robinson left for the NFL this year. There's just so many weapons for Texas, and the offensive line is good. I mean, they, they are just top-to-bottom. Um, at wide receiver, at tight end, in the backfield. Uh, there is an immense amount of talent. And Quinn Ewers had himself a good game, 25-35, of 35, 325 yards with a touchdown and an interception. So um, all in all, uh, once we found out Jalen Daniels was not going to play, it changed the outlook. I wish I didn't have this game as my lock of the week. I wouldn't have made it my lock of the week, but... You know, I didn't know Jalen Daniels wasn't going to play, and that does change the outlook, but it doesn't take away from what Texas has done. That being said, I'm not saying this to be a Texas hater. I'm just going to note this. Texas has now played three backup quarterbacks in a row Wyoming's backup quarterback, Baylor's backup quarterback, and Candace's backup quarterback. And they also played probably the worst Alabama quarterback in 15 years. And then JT Daniels in week one, who, God bless him, is on his, what, third or fourth school? So I'm not saying that to criticize Texas. They're the best team in the Big 12 hands down right now. But if you're looking for something that makes you question just how good they are, you can bring that up and make the case, and we can have a conversation about it. That's it. That's all I'm going to point out about that, okay? So don't Don't hate. Don't hate. Just note that that is a fact. That needs to be mentioned here, all right? Let me take a uh, sip of water as we continue with the Big 12 Football Week 5 Reaction Show. Uh, um, If you're on YouTube, do us a solid. Hit that thumbs-up button. I would greatly appreciate you doing that. And then, of course, if you're... Uh, Also, on YouTube, subscribe to the show. That way, you never miss any of our content talking about the Big 12. A lot of new folks coming in here every single week, consuming the content. And uh, on the podcast, you know what to do, right? Leave a rating, review, subscribe. We'll get you a free Heartland College Sports Koozie. I'm holding it up right here if you leave a five star rating and review. I wanted to get to 700 ratings by um, the end of the month. Today's October 1st. We're not going to get there, but dang, we're close. We got 689. That means 11 of you. Can you hit the five-star on iTunes? Subscribe. Leave a nice review if you want. And then send me a screenshot of your rating and review to Pete M-U-N-D-O, M-U-N-D-O at heartlandcollegesports.com, and we'll get you hooked up with that free koozie. Next up, Oklahoma rolling Iowa State 50-20. to 20. Now, Oklahoma also continues to look like the real deal. And I felt that way, especially about this defense for most of the season. I wanted to see the offense. I wanted to see the offense play a bit of a better defense. And, you know, this is not Iowa State's defense of recent years, but it's still, I believe, a good defense. But when you hang a half a hundo on Matt Campbell's defense, hats off to you. Respect. That was darn impressive, and that was a very strong performance by this Oklahoma team. Covering the 20 points and uh, winning comfortably by 30 in this one. Dylan Gabriel continues to get better, by the way. Three touchdowns, 366 passing yards, QBR of 95.7. Um, it is all coming together. And this may be, I don't know if there's like a Marvin Mims on this team when it comes to wide receiver, but man, it is a deep unit at wideout for OU. And they made some adjustments as well. They shut out Iowa State in that second half. I mean, that was impressive to watch. And, you know, I thought Rocco Beck was okay. You go to Norman, that's a tough spot. I thought he was okay. But all in all, you got to look at this and you got to say to yourself, Oklahoma also looks like the real deal. So now these two teams meet in the Red River rivalry this weekend. Of course, we'll be covering that as the week goes on. But you got these two teams last season for each of them in the Big 12 Conference, and the winner of this game will obviously be the favorite to end up um, as at least one of the two teams at AT AT&T Stadium come December. So, uh, yeah, OU's defense was all over the field, especially, especially in that second half. Now, I don't know if you saw this, but after the game, a bunch of OU fans were chanting hot seat, hot seat to Matt Campbell and Matt Campbell. I don't know what he said, but he looked back at him and he yelled something at him. He like pointed at the fans, the OU fans who were yelling hot seat and he yelled something at him. That's the second time in three weeks, Matt Campbell's been seen yelling at a fan or wanting to yell at a fan who basically said he's on the hot seat for a guy who's as calm and cool and collected publicly as Matt Campbell I'm pretty surprised by this because I don't believe Matt Campbell should be anywhere close to a hot seat. Yeah, it has not lived up to expectations at Iowa State since the 2020 season, since he got this team to a Big 12 championship game. 2021, he brought back a lot of those guys, Brock Purdy and others, and they laid an egg based on how good they were supposed to be, right? Last year, they go 1-8 in Big 12 play. This year is not looking great. You lose to Miami, Ohio. You lose to Iowa. You lose to OU by 30. It's not looking great. But Matt Campbell's not in a hot seat. I mean, Matt Campbell has done things that no one would ever think was possible at Iowa State. He's the best coach in Iowa State football history. And the reality for Iowa State football is this. They should expect to be in a bowl game every year while... Maybe popping every four to five years and being in the Big 12 title hunt if you get the right players, the right transfers, you know, in the second half of November. Those should be Iowa State expectations. The notion that Iowa State was ever going to be in a place where it was year in, year out completing, competing for a conference title, that doesn't seem realistic. Matt Campbell's not on any hot seat that I can tell. And if he is, that's insane. There is no point in having Matt Campbell on the hot seat. But the fact that he's reacted like this is kind of interesting to me, and not in the character of what we've come to expect from Matt Campbell. Not that he can't yell back at some fans being bozos. I mean, the guys are being clowns. Whether it was the Iowa State fan two weeks ago, um, after the Ohio game, the Miami-Ohio game, or if it was, you know, these jerk OU fans, I'm not saying all OU fans are jerks, that's not the case, but these jerk OU fans with their phones out saying, hot seat, hot seat, whatever. But it's just like, man, I'm just surprised that, that he's yelling back at him. It's like, dude, I know they get under your skin, but don't waste your time with these idiots. Cause that's what they are. That's what they are. Matt Campbell will deserve plenty of time to turn this thing around. The guys haven't forgotten how to coach. Right, I mean, yes, you know, when you land a Brees Hall and a Brock Purdy at a place like Iowa State, you better win. You win big, and he did that. And they don't fall into your lap every year, but you know, he he deserves a lot of time to figure this out. And there's still plenty of opportunity for Iowa State to find itself in a bowl game this year, which I think most people would have been happy with before the season started. All right, you got TCU, Cincinnati, Baylor the next three weeks. You can win two two out of three easy. Uh, you know, then you're sitting there at four and four with Kansas, BYU, Texas, Kansas State. Uh, you know, five and seven, uh, six and six. I don't know. I, I think that's what we expected this year out of Iowa State. So I'm not going to be sitting there screaming hot seat um, at Matt Campbell, and he shouldn't, you know, even be worried about that. Now, uh, bouncing around the Big 12, uh, let's touch on Texas Tech-Houston. Tech rolls Houston 49-28, to 28, an old Southwest Conference matchup. You know, this is a game that Texas Tech desperately needed. I mean, oh gosh, did they need this one bad. And I wasn't sure they were going to get it early on, right? Houston jumps out to a lead. They're up 14-7. to 7. They're up 7 nothing. I mean, it looks like it's going to be... Cougars in this game. They're up 21-14. Uh, you're like, oh my goodness, is Tech going to fall to 1-4 this season? That would have been absolutely embarrassing had it happened. Thankfully, for their sake, it didn't. But it wasn't far off from happening. Donovan Smith, against his old team, was having himself a day on Saturday. And you know what? I, I know that you know Tech held him in check in the second half. Houston didn't score a single point in that second half, but Donovan Smith still had himself a strong game. Four touchdowns. He threw for 330 yards. Um, He got it done. I do like their running back, Parker Jenkins. The problem for Houston is the defense. Uh, That's the problem. Texas Tech should not be rushing for 239 yards on anybody. Houston has got to get its defense together. If not, I mean, this is going to be a brutal season for Dana Holgerson, who I thought was going to end up finishing at the bottom of the Big 12. And right now, I don't see how they don't. I mean, they've got a good offense, but the offense is not good enough to keep up with how bad this defense appears to be. And that's the problem right now. I mean, Houston can't get to the quarterback. They can't stop the run. Baron Morton was okay. I didn't think he was great. He wasn't asked to do a lot. You don't have to when you got two running backs going for over 100 yards in Brooks and Valdez. But, you know, I... Dana Holgerson, I don't know how much time. I think he's got a lot of time, obviously. We know that he's buddies with everybody in charge there, from the boosters to the administration. But uh, it could get ugly at times this year for Houston based on how that defense looks. And for Texas Tech, you know, it's a sigh of relief. You're 2-3. and You're 1-1 and in the Big 12. You go to Waco this weekend for a game you better win. And then it's K-State, BYU uh, after that. Uh, you know, Obviously, they're still mathematically well in the race for a Big 12 title game appearance, but this is not the Texas Tech team I thought we'd see this year. The defense, most notably, has uh, struggled, but you know the offense is at ups and downs as well. So I, we'll learn a lot more about this team when it goes to Baylor uh, this weekend and see what exactly they've got, how they're looking, and uh, that game will tell us a lot, too, about the future for the Red Raiders this year. So keep an eye on that here on Heartland College Sports. Last but not least, the Friday night game, BYU-Cincinnati. BYU wins 35-27. So we had our guy Derek Duke at the UCF game for their first Big 12 game, and we had Matthew Postons in Provo, Utah, for our first uh, BYU Big 12 game. So we were pumped up to have both those guys there. Follow us on Instagram, at Heartland College Sports, to see videos and photos from each of those games that we covered. Got some great footage that I want to share with you on the Heartland College Sports Instagram page. Go follow us there. We got a lot of content. I pop on there once in a while just for little 15-second clips. So we have a lot of fun on Instagram. But um, yeah, BYU won the game. You know, it was such a a weird game with how it played out before where BYU's favored, then the spread flips to Cincinnati being favored. Uh, the the It was all over the place, right? And my message would be this, get used to Friday night lights in the big 12, like it or not, get used to it. As somebody who wakes up at 4am for my day job, Monday to Friday, I do a morning radio show in Kansas city. If you don't know, um, I don't like nine 15 central time kickoffs on Fridays. I don't, I'm exhausted. It's very difficult. And I love high school football too, but no, it's not going away. ESPN and Fox have a lot to gain on these light TV viewing nights if they can put BYU or next year, you know, you're going to see Arizona, Arizona State, BYU, Utah, Colorado playing some of these Friday night games. Heck, next week you got Kansas State, Oklahoma State on a Friday night. So this is going to become uh, the way of the future going forward. Like it or not, that's how it's going to be. But for this game in particular, I mean, Cincinnati's got to be kicking itself, right? Cincinnati goes on the road to Provo, one of the better home field advantages in the Big 12. They have more first downs. They're better on third down. They have 200 more total yards than BYU. I mean, they're doing everything right. They rush the ball 240 to 70. They're humming. But what happened? Penalties and turnovers. That's what happened to Cincinnati. Sloppy, sloppy, sloppy. Fumbles, interceptions, penalties. That's what ultimately lost them this game. And uh, BYU, to its credit as well, took advantage, made a difference, and got the job done. And that is, uh, you know, the way this thing played out. Heck, it got started that way, right? Game got out of the gates just like that. And, you know, it makes you kick yourself, but, you know, it is what it is. And it's got to be incredibly frustrating when you're sitting there watching that game as a Cincinnati fan and you throw a pick six out of the gates and then, you know, BYU's off to the races. But you hung in there until halftime, of course. You did your best if you were Cincinnati. But the second half was, unfortunately, just far too much BYU. And when you're trading touchdowns for field goals, you're always going to end up on the wrong side of that one. So that was very frustrating uh, for Cincinnati. And that was a long, long plane ride home, i got to imagine. Let's go to some of your comments on Facebook and YouTube. Put some respect on the Mountaineers. Well, I started off the show with a lot of respect for the Mountaineers. Smash mouth football, baby. So... Be sure to watch the beginning of the show if you're on YouTube and um, go from there. Scott, I wouldn't want to play in Morgantown this year. Nope, not with that defense, not with that home field advantage. I agree. Uh, The ultimate Baylor Bears. For real, never quit, never stop playing and creating your own luck. That is from Joel. Joel. Uh, you got to give them a lot of credit for never quitting. I still don't know how good they actually are. It could be a long season in Waco. Big 12 is going to be fun to watch. That's absolutely right. No doubt about it. Uh, Pete, what are you going to do if OU and Texas play for a Big 12 title? Uh, <laughs> how about this? If OU and Texas play for a Big 12 title, I will flip these signs upside down. We good? We square. I'll flip them up. I'll flip them right side up uh, until they leave. If they end up playing for a Big 12 title, how's that sound? If Oklahoma and Texas play each other for a Big 12 championship, that sign will get flipped right side up, and that sign will get flipped right side up. Deal? Handshake? Great. Thanks for being here, guys. I'm Pete Mundo, Heartland College Sports. Subscribe to us on YouTube. Um, hit the thumbs up button as well. That helps this show grow more than you realize. We're now reaching so many of you Big 12 fans because of the little things that you're doing, and hit the five-star on iTunes. Please, takes 30 seconds, leave a review, and we'll get you the koozies when you send me a screenshot of your rating and review to Pete Mundo, M-U-N-D-O, at HeartlandCollegeSports.com. And, hey, by the way, join us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and on the message boards. Those are free. At Heartland College Sports, just hit forums at the top, and you can talk to a lot of Big 12 fans all week long on the Heartland College Sports Message Boards. We just want to build up that community with you. Have a great rest of your day. We'll talk to you guys soon. Take care. Let's get ready for week six.